It's good to remember. It's good to not forget. Some people want to wipe out history, but uh, you know, if you don't remember what happened in the past, uh, you're bound to repeat it. Uh, you're bound to do the same thing. But it's bad to get stuck in the past because uh, the past can actually hinder you from God's plan for your life and from you understanding, comprehending, and living based on what God has done for you and in you. Really, if you're a believer, you can say the same thing that I'm getting ready to say right now. I say it as a believer, and I also say it as a minister of the Lord, is that I have been authorized by Jesus Christ himself to tell you that your sins have been forgiven. And not only have your sins been forgiven, but your sins have been removed, all you have to do is actually accept that as a fact and receive it, and it becomes real for you. So the thing about it is, I don't like to make mistakes. I don't know how many people like to make mistakes. Most people don't like to make mistakes. Well, I don't like to make mistakes either. But I will tell you, in the world, your past will catch up with you. And the things that you do, you cannot erase. You have done. But in Christ, all of your sins, all of your mistakes are actually removed. So in life in Christ, you actually have a twofold thing that happens with your sins and your mistakes. Number one, you are forgiven. But they even had that under the old covenant. They were forgiven, but the sins still existed. But under the new covenant, our sins are actually removed so that God deals with you on the basis of holiness and purity on your part through Christ so that he's not looking at you as someone that is a sinner that has messed up and now, well, I paid the price for that, but I know what you did. Like I said, when we were looking at... Uh, this really old house. We looked at this really old house. It was like before the Civil War, like 17-something, and Jessica helped us with some stuff with it, and she, uh, she's like, uh, well, can you scrape off some of the paint and see what the original paint was? Why? Well, because the original paint was still there. It was just covered. It was still there. So if you had a professional or if you knew enough, you could actually scrape back and find out what was the original color. And on these historic homes, you know, you can get like grants to restore a historic home. And if you get that, then um, they want you to paint it like it originally was painted. And so that you got to find out what was it originally like. And so in Christ, God's not going and looking and seeing what were you originally like? What, what did you actually do? Because he has cast those things as far away as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness so that it doesn't really matter. In other words, how he deals with you in your situation today, if you have received his forgiveness, if you have received the cleansing that he has already done, then he is not dealing with you according to what you deserve based on what you've done. He is dealing with you and he deals with me according to what Christ himself has done. 
Well, Christ, who is Christ? Well, he is the anointed one, the Messiah, the son of God himself, who came in the form of a human being named Jesus and showed God, showed what God is like in a human being. And so he came teaching, preaching, healing, forgiving. He didn't come condemning. He didn't come and say, well, you know, I have come to tell you, you guys are a bunch of fools and you need to stop living this way. And, you know, you made God so mad, he's going to come down and kill you now. No, exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. And so in Christ, your sin does not exist. If you're a Christian and then you sin, you miss the mark. First uh, John 1 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, if you declare, if you come into agreement with, in other words, yes, Lord, I did that, your sins, if you confess your sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Do you realize the power of those words? That it does not matter what you have done, but what matters is what is right and what is just. And what is right and what is just is that if you confess, in other words, how do you confess? Well, number one, you have to humble yourself and say, okay, yeah, I, I messed up. You have to admit it. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I didn't act, if you're, you know, it's of course written to believers, so I didn't act based on who I am in Christ. I acted on a, a desire of my flesh, or I acted on a natural human reasoning, or I acted on what someone else said. I certainly didn't act on what you said. And so when that happens, all of a sudden, you may find that you have a, a communication issue with the Lord, but the communication issue with the Lord has been fixed and has been removed the second that you declare, yeah, I messed up in that. Forgive me. And at that instant, you become, once again, before the Lord, you are as pure and as holy as Jesus himself is, and you actually have the same access to God that Jesus himself has. So I said this to a guy one time, you know, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then uh, that's verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says that he made him, that is Christ, who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so I said to this man, he was a shorter fellow, and I said to him, uh, he actually came up to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, um, but he felt like he was not worthy enough to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, how could someone that has done what I have done, how could they be worthy to be filled with God himself, overflowing? How could they measure up, was his thinking. And I said, well, are you a Christian? He said, yes. I said, well, if you're a Christian, 
I said, you are as pure and holy and righteous as Jesus himself is. Do you know what he did? He acted like I hit him in his belly with my fist. He said, oh, I would never say that. I said, well, that's what the Bible says. And he said, oh, and he fell backwards. And so once he kind of like came to himself, then I prayed for him to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit because he was so in the natural way of thinking that it was all based on what he had done. Like, and I don't even know what he had done. Uh, many people that think, like, I've done this terrible thing, like, you, you talk to them. Um, I used to have a friend, actually still a friend, but um, anyhow, they, uh, you, you know, pastor, you want to get too specific, and then people would be like, hey, you talking about me. <laughs> But anyhow, he would say, I must have some unconfessed sin. I just feel like I'm not close to the Lord. I, I just must have something that I haven't confessed. And I'm like, well, do you have something that you haven't confessed? Like, are you living in sin? And, you know, do you need to just declare it so you can move on? You know, a lot of times we like want to pretend stuff isn't there or doesn't happen or we don't do that. And then we keep doing it. And we keep doing it because we refuse to come into agreement like, okay, yeah, that was very self-centered. I shouldn't be acting that way. And then we what? We just keep doing it. So and interesting that the Bible teaches two types of confession. Most of the church world uh, focuses in on the confession of your sins, the confessing where you're missing it. But you're not only supposed to confess your sins, you're supposed to confess and declare who you are in Christ. So the only way to get rid of those things and the burden of those things is you declare it, you come into agreement, and as soon as you come into agreement, it's gone as a believer. But the only way to get who you are in Christ active in your life is that you declare it and come into agreement with it, and then all of a sudden it's tangible in your life. So, you know, all the way... Christianity is actually called the great confession or the great declaration. So all the way from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, if you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you, what, declare with your mouth what you believe in your heart, and if what you believe in your heart is that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. Actually, I like the King James better because it says you shall be saved. In other words, there's no doubt about it. There's no worry in it. You shall be saved. And so at that moment, that's when you become a new creature. But it doesn't mean that all of a sudden the outside of you changes. And it doesn't mean that all of a sudden your mind changes. It means the inside, the core of your being, who you are really on the inside is changed. So then your life is forever altered. Your desires are forever altered. Now you have different desires. Uh, the real you wants to do different things. The real you doesn't want to sin anymore. The real you doesn't want to go down that path anymore. But what happens? Well, if you are born again and you do not change your mind by the word of God, 
The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to be transformed. This is speaking to Christians. Right? If you're going to preach religiously, you'd be like, well, you're already transformed. Everything's good. You're just done. Da, da, da. No, no. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can know the will of God. Test and prove the perfect will of God. Well, why is that? Well, because your mind has to be transformed and renewed. In other words, as soon as you start thinking the word of God, you start thinking God's thoughts. Now, your renewed mind, inspired by your spirit, because your spirit is one with God on the inside, will control your body. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is awakened by hearing God speak to you is really how I would paraphrase that because uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So the second that you act in faith, you're acting in the realm that you cannot see initially. But when you act in that realm and in that sphere, what is unseen, if you keep the switch of faith turned on, in other words, if you keep the focus of your faith, if you don't cast away your confidence, if you keep your confession and your declaration of what you have in your heart because the Lord revealed it to you, then it'll come to pass. In other words, you may not see this building now if someone's going to build a building, but they may tell you, you know what, I'm going to build this building and, you know, <clears throat> it's going to be so many feet by so many feet and it's going to be this high and it's going to have this many stories and we're going to have marble in it. We're going to have this. We're going to have that. Somebody can show you that when they're pointing at a field. They can say, this is how it's going to be. Well, based on their history, based on their financial ability, based on banks they have relationship with, uh, you may believe them or not believe them. If they're a business person that goes and builds commercial buildings all the time, you probably believe, like, okay, that's going to be there. They're going to say, you know, uh, out by us, they just uh, finished, I think, I've been there, but like a Hobby Lobby. And so they built this Hobby Lobby. So, but before they said, we're going to build this Hobby Lobby. This is what we're going to do. You know, they're building, uh, if you're over, over by Dulles, they're always building a new data center. And so they're going to say, we're going to build this data center. It's going to be so many thousand square feet. It's going to have so much heating and cooling and all this type of stuff. Before you ever see it, they say it. Well, that same principle is true in the word of God. In fact, where they get that from is originally from the word. And so what happens is, first you have to say something before you see something. So if you're not saying what you are trusting the Lord for, then how would you ever expect to see it? Well, take that all the way back to what we're talking about. Forgiveness and cleansing. So if you don't ever declare it, how would you ever see it? If you don't ever declare, you know what? According to the word of God, my sins have been removed. According to the word of God, if I confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me 
and to cleanse me. I love it. Like he forgave us and he cleansed us. So that we're not a stepchild of the Lord. Now, if you are a stepchild, hopefully you don't, you're not treated like a stepchild, but you know what I mean when I say like a stepchild. Like some people don't treat their children correctly, so they're going to be like, well, you're my biological child, you're my stepchild, so I'm going to give you extra because you're my biological child. No, we're brought into the family with full rights and full privileges as sons and daughters of God himself. And he's the one that did it. And it was his idea. And I suppose he has the ability to do that as much as God has the ability to do something. So, in Christ, our sins are removed and destroyed, and gone. So why do you keep thinking about the past? Oh, apparently because your mind is not renewed. Or, if your mind has been renewed, you haven't sufficiently chewed on that word, meditated on that word enough, that you're willing to act like it's true. So you know something that helps me with this is um, I, uh, you know, people have had different experiences and, you know, you don't go by experiences unless it's, you know, you, if it's in line, every experience you need to have in the Lord needs to be in line with the word of God and this is in line with the word. So, um, you know, Jesus appeared to Kenneth Hagin when the first time he appeared to him, uh, Kenneth Hagin fell down on his knees and said, oh Lord, no one as unworthy am I as I am and worthy to be in your presence and look upon your face. And Jesus looked down at him and said, stand up on your feet. I have made you worthy. My blood has made you worthy. And for whatever reason, when I heard that, I thought, well, that's a really good deal. Because, you know, uh, a couple of denominations I was involved with that would, would think that way and talk that way. And, you know, I'm so unworthy. Well, I didn't realize by thinking that way that I'm really not esteeming and respecting and honoring the power of the blood of Christ. But I'm really just looking at more the power of my mistakes, that the power of me is more powerful than the blood. Well, I would never say that, and I didn't, would never think that. But through actions, that's the way your thoughts are actually forming in your mind that's not renewed with the word so that all of a sudden now when you think of reading the word of God or praying to God, your actions are affected by that incorrect thinking or you could just say earthly thinking because in earthly thinking or if you judge yourself after the flesh, you're not worthy and I'm not worthy based on what you could do in the flesh. You know, if you kept the whole law but all offended one part, the Bible says you're guilty of everything. And uh, this is the whole reason Christ had to come, of course. So none of us in our own, when I say our own power, I don't mean from your renewed spirit. I mean apart from God. 
right? So if you're born again this morning, uh, you're well aware that sometimes you act on behalf of God and sometimes you act on behalf of other people. Sometimes it's, it's like your unrenewed mind. Sometimes it's your flesh. Sometimes it's, uh, many times, it's actually what someone else said, what you heard someone else say. Ever been like uh, caught, caught that you were offended at someone or um, something because somebody else said something? Like you just kind of picked it up. Uh, and so um, Jesus sets us free from our failures, from our mistakes, from our inabilities, and he sets us free to love God and to worship God. And that's what he came to do on the cross. But before he came to the cross, so that was all extra, okay, so, but I'm not gonna hold you over. (laughs) But before he came to the cross, He came into the city of Jerusalem, and he came there from Bethany and Bethpage, which was just kind of like across the valley, okay? Bethany, remember, is the city where Lazarus was raised from the dead, and it was actually, Lazarus was raised from the dead just before Jesus entered the city on what we call Palm Sunday, and so in the atmosphere, was like Lazarus had been dead long enough that by now, one of my favorite things, especially having children, is to say, by now he stinketh. So if someone in my family maybe needs some cleaning up, then our little saying is, by now he stinketh. So, you know, speaking of Lazarus, Jesus is like, well, I'm going to go. You know, he's just sleeping. They're like, no, he's been dead like four days. He's stinking by now. In other words, decay has really begun to set in. I don't think you really want to go and uh, catch a whiff of that. Why? Well, because their minds had not been renewed with the word. They had not connected with Christ. So they saw him after natural things and natural circumstances and the ordinary course of nature. Uh, The definition of a miracle actually is a divine intervention in the ordinary course of nature. In other words, as nature would have it, ordinary things, this is what would happen. Lazarus would not raise from the dead. But when he comes in contact with the resurrection and the life, death has to give way. So Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead, and um, you know the Pharisees and the rulers of the law and the, of the synagogue, they're kind of thinking like, you know, this thing has really gotten out of hand. And you know, now he's raised this guy from the dead, and all these people know by now he's supposed to be stinking. And so all these people know, and what are we going to do? So you know what they did? They plotted to kill Christ and to kill Lazarus. Plead the blood of Jesus that we're never that blind, right? I mean, it's actually the answer to to their cry, to all of their studies, to the cry of humanity, to the cry of the ages, to the cry of the universe is right there. And they're like, we got to get rid of this. So just because people are coming against you, 
when you're acting for God and following the Lord does not mean that you're wrong and they are right. In fact, many times the contrary is true. And so, um, anyhow, that's, that's kind of the setting that we come into, and we're going to turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. And we're going to pick up right there, and we're probably just going to read this real fast. I'm going to read in the uh, uh, New Living Translation this part. Mark chapter 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there and that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs it uh, and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, What are you doing, untying the colt? They said what Jesus had told them to say, and and they were permitted to take it. And then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the ground ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in the highest heaven. So, you know, this is like an amazing day. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, right? So there, he's coming, and I don't know, did did you get the text I sent you? Okay, maybe you can show that uh, map. Um, And uh, I didn't have time to set this up to do through my iPad, but... um, you can see here on the right side of the picture, uh, he is coming, Bethany and Bethpage are over here, so he comes over here, and that kind of rectangular thing that maybe you can or can't see right there is uh, the Temple Mount. And so he's coming from this way, and so they're coming, they're laying their palm branches down, they're laying their coats down, and he comes up, and then it says, verse 11, so Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple, right? So he's coming from all of this, and he goes into the temple, And after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. So he comes, he has what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem to the Temple Mount, and he goes up to the temple, he looks around, he says, well, it's late, so I'm going to go home. And so he goes home, and then the next morning, verse 12, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. He noticed a fig tree in full leaf a little way off. So he went over to see if he could find any figs, but there were only leaves because it was too early in the season for fruit. Then Jesus said to the tree, he talked to the tree, may no one ever eat your fruit again. And the disciples heard him saying it. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, because remember he's on the way to Jerusalem when he cursed the fig tree, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves, and he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. When the leading priests and teachers of the religious law heard that Jesus 
uh, what Jesus had done, they began planning how to kill him. But they were afraid of him because of the people were so amazed at his teaching. That evening, Jesus and his disciples left the city. The next morning, as they passed by the fig tree he had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered up from the roots. Peter remembered that Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, or what he had said, Look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, May you be lifted up and thrown into the sea, and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. But you, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Again, we see from the mouth of Christ that the second that you forgive someone with your own mouth, then your sins can be forgiven. And so the power of our tongue um, to direct our life and to direct and to allow or disallow what we have and what we experience uh, really cannot be underestimated. Verse 27, and again, they entered Jerusalem. As Jesus was walking through the temple area, the leading priest, the teacher of the religious law, the elders came up to him uh, and they demanded, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the right to do them? That must have been like an amazing scene, right? Because uh, he's in the temple turning all of this stuff over, driving these people out, and nobody is stopping him because of the people, because of his teaching, because it's the truth. I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you can answer one question, Jesus replied. Don't you love Jesus? <laughs> and don't think he'll talk to you any differently. Like you think, like he's just going to give me a straight answer with a straight conversation. No, not necessarily. Like uh, the day I got filled with the Holy, well, no, I was, I was, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. I went to a service and there were amazing things happening in the service, but I was really confused by them because I'd never experienced them before. And so I went home that night and I had given just $5 in the offering because I was like, I don't know if this is of God or this is of the devil or what is this? You know, it's so, so new to me. Sometimes the things that are new, we're kind of like against, right? Well, uh, I'll give you a great clue. Find it in the word. If you find it in the word, then stick with it. Anyhow, so I, I said to the Lord, I prayed, and I said, Lord, um, what I just said to you, I don't know if this is of you. I don't know if this is of the devil. I don't know what this is. You know, in, inquisiting, asking. And the Lord spoke to my spirit, and is as clear today as it ever was then. And he said, go back to the meeting in the morning, and if you still have trouble with it, then I'll talk to you about it. And I was like, how did you do that? I guess that's a sign of pride. Like, I was like, you outsmarted me, you know. Of course he outsmarted me. But he did it to the Pharisees. Um, then they talked among themselves. If we say it's from, did I read verse 29? Okay. I tell you, but I'll tell you by what authority I do these things, if you can answer one question. Yeah, I didn't read the question. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked it over among themselves. If we say from heaven, he'll ask, why didn't we believe John? But do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. 
And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. I just love Jesus. Every politician could use Jesus. Every person could use Jesus <laughs> because he's so amazing. But you know, Jesus, I'm about to finish with this because of time's sake, praise the Lord. Um, but you know, when Jesus entered in to the city of Jerusalem and he entered in and he said, right before that, he said, go, you'll find a, a, like a donkey colt. Go, find it and bring it. Well, do you know, like at that time, kings, when they would enter, they, if they were, wanted to enter as a conqueror, they would come on a horse. But if they came in peace, they would always enter on a donkey. And so what happened is all of the people of the city, they're starting to get a glimpse like either this prophet is the Messiah or he is like right after this guy, right? So they're starting to realize something significant that we have been looking for forever is starting to happen. But what happened? Well, man's thinking was he's going to come as a conqueror. He's going to come to like execute the heads of government. He's going to come and put everything right. Now we're going to be in charge of everything the way it always should have been. But Jesus, through the foreknowledge of God, came riding on a brand new donkey with a great sign, I have come to bring peace. And I want to read uh, one scripture, and we'll close with that scripture. Zechariah 9.9, speaking and foretelling of this day that Christ came on a donkey. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king comes to you. He is uncompromisingly just and having salvation, triumphant and victorious, patient, meek, lowly, and riding on a donkey, upon a colt, the foal of a donkey. So even the prophecy concerning the Messiah, concerning Christ, says that he's coming righteous, lowly, and humble. And they missed the sign. Remember, sometimes we look for God to come in the lightning, sometimes in the thunder, but he normally comes in the still, small voice. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he didn't just come for those in that day. He didn't just come for those that were in Jerusalem, actually under heaven. He came for you and he came for me. He loves you and he loves me. But he will not force you to receive him. You have to step out and you have to believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead for you. And then you have to declare it with your mouth. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, I'm not talking about religion. I'm not talking about uh, becoming part of some new movement. I'm talking about a relationship with the author of all life. If that's you this morning and you don't know Jesus, just slip up your hand. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to pray for you. If that's you and you're watching online, please 
Don't let another moment go by. Email us, info at anchordc.org. We'd love to pray with you and for you. Get some good materials into your hands. See you living for the Lord. If you're here this morning and you have lived for the Lord, but you've let other things creep in to try to drown out Him in your life, to try to steal that relationship from you, to try and take the word that has been given to you. Jesus is calling. He wants you to come to him. He wants you to have your heart right. And it's just a split second of time. You confess your sins. He's faithful just to forgive you and cleanse you. If that's you, with every head bowed, every eye closed, just slip up your hand. I'd love to pray with you and for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Christ coming. We thank you that we can remember this week the holy things that he has done and that he is doing. Father, we thank you for the price that was paid. We thank you for his life given for us. I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every person, each and every life that's here, each and every person, each and every life that is listening. Father, may each one of us Live out your full plan for our lives and live in the fullness of all that you have purchased for us, that you have given to us. We ask you for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in knowing Christ, in knowing you, and in knowing what you have done in us and for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.